Yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away. Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. That means I have four guests today. If you're watching us live streaming on Facebook or LinkedIn, we hope you can see my guests and they'll be introducing themselves in a minute. I have a question to ask my audience out there. Are you hungry? Have you been to a restaurant recently? Have you had takeout? Have you had drive up? Have you had meals delivered? Have you ordered online and picked it up somewhere curbside? Have you actually been in a restaurant? Now this pandemic looks like it's starting to let up. Well, we have a lot to talk about. Our topic today is the future of dining. Restaurants make menus, takeout, delivery, pickup, curbside, AI, cook at home. You add it all in. It's a menu for eating pleasure. So I have a couple of buzz quotes and then I'll ask my guests to introduce themselves. First up, buzz quote from Big Yellow Taxi, Joni Mitchell, 1970. I love that song. I don't know if anybody on my panel is old. I might be one or two old enough to remember the quote is, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? Remember, they paved paradise and put in a parking lot. Okay. (laughs) Quote number two, buzz quote is from when Harry met Sally. Harry Burns, played by Billy Crystal in 1989, one of our favorite films, said, I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie. I thought that was a fun quote for a show about food. And here is a quote, a serious one from Forbes.com. COVID-19 revealed the everyday activities many people take for granted until they're no longer available for an option, like eating out at a restaurant. More than 70,000 restaurants across the U.S. have permanently closed, and we can shed a tear for that. Restaurants had to quickly pivot to curbside pickup and delivery and adjust their menus and staffing in hopes of staying afloat to find new creative ways to serve their customers. So I have I have a new title here for my guests. You're all food futurists, whether you knew that or not. Carrie Brown at SAP, my wonderful colleague, former colleague, friend, who has invited three people to join her, one who's been on before. We have Chef Chris Hall at Unsuke. And Chris, welcome back. We're going to talk to you in a little while. We're happy to meet Lisa Allen at Wine Insight, I-N-S-I-T-E, very clever. And Chef Andy Gonzalez at Steinbeck's and The Companion. And we're going to ask them for the future of dining. What's their take? Where are we eating? What we'll be eating? When we'll be eating? Will AI tell us what we should be eating, what it thinks we're going to be eating? So welcome, welcome, welcome again. As the gentleman said, that was Ryan Treasure, VP of Broadcast Operations at World Talk Radio, who does my intro. Thank you, Ryan. And I am Bonnie D. Graham. So let's get started. I'm going to go to my first guest, Carrie Brown. Of course, your first year. And thank you again for inviting these wonderful people. They're smiling. Chris, are you going to smile for me, Chris? I'm always smiling on there. He's he's really trying. Okay. We're live. I used to do stand-up, Chris. Now I just try to be funny sitting down, so bear with me, okay? And improv too. Carrie, I'm gonna put you on speaker view. Would you please? Carrie, there might be I know you're very popular on social media and streaming, so I'm guessing there might be four and a half people who don't remember who you are and everybody's going to go together. Tsk, tsk, shame on them. So why don't you refresh their memory, Carrie, and tell us what in the world are you doing here on a show about the future of restaurants? Carrie, welcome. Well, thank you, Bonnie. I work for SAP where we look at the future in lots of industries, but me personally, I look at the future of work a lot. I also happen to be a big supporter and 
participant in the food industry in, in the consumption category. So I like to eat and drink all the things being provided by everyone here. And I'm a big, a big supporter of the charity, The Giving Kitchen, that Chris is the board uh, on the board of. So uh, that's my association with this space. I'm, I'm an avid consumer. An avid consumer. That means you like restaurants, you like dining, you like, well, what's your favorite way to, to get dinner into your house? What do you, what do you do? Do you go? Do you pick up? Do you bring? Do you get meal delivery? What's your favorite way, Carrie? Right now, yes to all of the above. I do a little bit of each. I would say there's a, a good amount of takeout going on to make sure I support restaurants that I don't necessarily want to be in right now. Lots of gift cards and uh, some dining out as well. Lots of wine ordering from my wine making friends. So trying to keep everyone alive. Let's have a round of applause for Carrie. She is contributing and supporting. Carrie, I like the attitude. I really do. Thank you very much. Let's go to Chef Chris Hall next. Chris, welcome back. You were on in case there's 3.5 people who don't remember you. Double shame on them. Chris, reintroduce yourself to my audience, please. Go ahead. So my name is Chris Hall. I'm a chef and restaurateur in Atlanta. We have four restaurants. And as Carrie mentioned earlier, I'm part of a group that founded a charity called The Giving Kitchen which helps restaurant workers in crisis. So we've been a little bit busy over the last year Mm -hmm. uh, with COVID and everything else. But fortunately, the community stepped up and we've been able to help a lot of people um, through this whole thing. So hopefully we are uh, emerging from COVID and we will see what happens in the future. Thank you very much. And how is business? How is business in your restaurants, Chris? Is that, are people coming back? Or, or I don't know what, uh, what state are you I in? Mean, we, we, are, we are very fortunate um, that here in Georgia, we have been able to continuously operate in some form or fashion throughout the whole uh, pandemic. Um, but things are starting to really uh, open up. Um, we've, we've suffered a lot of not nice weather, just rain mm-hmm. and stuff. And as things, as the weather has gotten nice, like last weekend, I'm sure Andy with his restaurants and patios can speak to this as well. Mm-hmm. Like people came flooding out to get on patios when the weather was nice. And, uh, it was great to see and have some energy in the restaurant. So, uh, I'm, I'm optimistic on where we're heading, but there are a lot of challenges that are going to face our industry, uh, as we move forward. Thank you, Chris. Nice to see you again. Lisa Allen, newcomer. So happy to see you. If you're listening on Voice America Business Channel, you can't see that Lisa is sitting in a cave, a wine cave <laughs> with casks, barrels. She's going to tell me what those are. Fabulous background. You're in some kind of a tunnel. Lisa, please formally introduce yourself. What do you do? What is Wine Insight? And welcome. Go ahead, Lisa. Thanks so much. My name is Lisa Allen, and I'm a longtime wine industry professional, originally from Atlanta, uh, with where the other guests um, still live. Uh, so they're good friends of mine. I live in California now, uh, and I basically make sure no one's ever thirsty. That's my, my main goal in life. Um, I'm sitting here in the caves uh, of a winery uh, where I've got good friends. Uh, this is where we, you know, they age all their red wines in these lovely French oak barrels. Uh, but wine is my passion, and certainly that goes hand in hand with, with food. But, um, you know, I, I've sold to restaurants and retail stores, uh, and Wine Insight primarily is the distributor of all the wine actually to Delta Airlines. Oh. And yes, so anything onboarded in Atlanta for 
Delta business class and uh, coach class. Uh, we are proud to be able to provide those wines to them as well as um, Chris's restaurants. And I'm going to get with Andy soon now that I've got him in my in my sights, literally, and uh, get, get myself some, some additional customers. Um, but again, I'm just a longtime wine industry professional. I love to travel. I love to eat. And I love good people, which is what keeps me in this business. Interesting. So you just brought up something, Lisa, that I hadn't thought of, the impact of shutdowns in other industries on dining and wine, right? Mm -hmm. You said you supply wine to Delta, and we all know that the airlines have been greatly impacted mm -hmm. during COVID. How many people can they fly? Are you edge to edge? Are you wearing a mask? Are you safe? Are they stopping flights? Oh, my goodness. Oh my. So just address that just briefly, Lisa. Go ahead. Well, there was um, Delta as my only customer. I obviously have good insight into what they're doing. And they made a decision to actually not onboard any alcohol uh, onto the planes for months and months. So we mm. sat on pallets and pallets and pallets of wine um, that slowly opened up for um, for first and business class. Uh, and then it crept back into those uh, um, comfort plus seats, you know, that first part of coach. Um, but now, just literally in the last couple of weeks, they've finally started ordering with, you know, kind of pre-pandemic feeling volumes and frequency. So they're the last airline to have kept the middle seat open. So they still have the lowest uh, passenger count per plane right now. And that's going to end at the end of April, is my understanding, unless they make one more extension of that timeline. Um, but it seems like yeah, people, you know, there's like there's pent up demand in everything because people have just been seemingly stuck. People are ready to to show up and go places mm -hmm. and do things, and so it's going to be. Um, I think it's going to feel a bit more normal. Uh, but it was very painful for, for the airlines, and effectively, an airplane is you know a flying restaurant. I mean, there's food and beverage on those, and that was non-existent for a long time. Yep. Thank you very much. And sad to say it was a, a flying COVID pod with people oh, you, don't know, you don't know. So yes, I hadn't I, I had to say that. I'm sorry. It's topical. Let's move. Thank you, Lisa. Pleasure to have you on. Very excited Thank to have you here. Andy Gonzalez, Chef Gonzalez. I'm gonna put you on speaker view. You are new to me. I know you know all of these other lovely people. So why don't you introduce yourself? And I have breaking news. We are broadcasting live streaming live Yay. on LinkedIn. I see it. It says live, the future of dining, Bonnie D. Grant is live and you're all there with me. So hello, LinkedIn. Been trying to do this for days and it's working. Andy Gonzalez, introduce yourself, please. Uh, my name is Andy Gonzalez. I'm a chef uh, trying to be a restaurateur here in Atlanta. I've been cooking for uh, over two decades in the restaurant business, always independent restaurants. Um, got a place called Steinbeck's in Oakhurst, uh, Oakhurst Market in Oakhurst, which is a sort of caddy corner. And then the companion, which opened last year, April 1st, <laughs> which is the most appropriate day to open in 2020 for a restaurant. So um, yeah, we're about to celebrate our first year anniversary. Today's St. Patrick's Day, which is um, yes. of course rainy. So we're sort of on a roll here. Um, but overall, I, 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 you know, I've been cooking professionally for a long time. And at this point, I'm just trying to figure out how to open <laughs> multiple places and become an owner and make a transition into being a, um, a different level, I guess is what I'm looking for right now. Um, but I still flip flower baskets just like uh, I'm, I'm sure every other chef in Atlanta does. So that's how it goes in 2021. Um, what, Andy, what's your favorite recipe to cook? What, your personal favorite? What do you uh, love cooking the most? Uh, probably my mom's chicken and red sauce. Um, it's what I grew up eating when I was a kid. It's what I asked for every birthday. Um, you know, my mom, Rosie, she gave you one, one day where you got to make a choice. Every other day, you ate whatever she wanted you to eat. So Interesting. interesting. Uh, it's like a dial-down mole. It's really tasty. 
Yeah. I bet I bet uh, it is. Um, Chris Hall, what's your favorite thing to cook? I never asked uh, you. You know, my favorite thing right now to eat is to go to Andy's place, the companion, and get the weekly wrap. <laughs> um, I'm somewhat addicted to it, to be fair. And I'm totally serious. Uh, right. Like between the eggplant and the crunch wrap, that happens at least once a week in my world. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's really, really good. Um, I. I don't really have a favorite thing to cook as far as um, I, I like to make pasta. It's a very tactile experience yes. and it's very calming for me. Yes. And I know my calm demeanor belies it, but I'm a pretty high strung guy. And so no. the fact that I can get around <laughs> no. and roll out <laughs> pasta and just kind of exist in my own little world with dough, dough doesn't talk back to me. And that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> very telling chris hall very telling thank you all for the introductions let's move on to the quotes you've all sent me very interesting quotes carrie brown you're up first carrie sent a quote from star trek movie it was the 2009 reboot and it's an extensive scene but i have it i'm going to say it scotty was played by simon Pegg. i'm what are, are you from the future and james t kirk played this time by Chris Pine, Obi still my heart. Yeah, he is. I'm not. And Scotty says, well, that's brilliant. Do they still have sandwiches there? Carrie, how did you find this one? Absolutely fascinating. Go ahead. Well, you've, you switched from books and songs to movies, so I had to go searching a little bit differently. And I wanted just to highlight the, the change in everything that we have around expectations. Things we took for granted, favorite meals we have. I also crave Andy's eggplant fries. You know, the things that we go to as comfort food or comfort experiences, either we don't have those experiences available. In some cases, we have those foods available. And so to me, that quote just represents, you know, some of the basics that we take for granted are, are gone, similar to your quote at the start. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Love the quote. And uh, I wasn't watching Star Trek at that level in those days, so I was new to who those people were. But Hey, Chris Pine, what can I tell you? Chris Hall has sent us a quote from Jason. Am I saying this right? Isbell or Ibel? J Jason yeah, Isbell. Isbell and the 400 unit and the song is Tour of Duty. It's performed by them. It's from, recorded in 2011, June 14th to be exact. And Michael Jason Isbell, born in 1979, is an American singer, songwriter, and guitarist known for his solo career and his work with the band 400 Unit and former member of Drive-By Truckers for six years. He won four Grammys, blah, blah, blah. Very awarded. Here's the line. This is interesting. We'll laugh like little children telling secrets. Probably cry like old women drinking gin. Chris, you got to help us with this one. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's just to me symbolizes um, the experience we've had with the pandemic, or at least my experience, that there have been some pretty, pretty amazing highs of, of surviving and, and getting through it. And we've all had good times and there have been some pretty uh, amazing lows. Um, and it's just a very evocative uh, couple lines that, that illustrate the highs and the lows of where we are. And I don't think those are going to stop anytime soon. Thank you very much. And let's go to quote from Lisa Allen. And this is from very, very fun movie. Very interesting. The Devil Wears Prada, 2006 American comedy drama film. And let's see if I can tell you a little bit about this. It starred Meryl Streep as Miranda Priestly, a powerful 
and very acerbic, can we use that instead of nasty, fashion magazine editor and Anne Hathaway as young Andrea Andy Sachs, a college grad who goes to New York City and lands a job as Priestley's co-assistant. And interestingly enough, Lisa, I don't know if you know this, but I love this part of the background. Although the film is set in the fashion world and mentions many real-life references to well-known places and people in the fashion industry, most designers and fashion notables avoided appearing as themselves in the movie because they didn't want to displease Anna Wintour, the oh, U.S. Wow. Vogue editor, who is believed to be the inspiration for the mm-hmm. character of Priestley. So many allowed their clothes to be used in the film and their accessories, but they didn't want to. Be. It's one of the most expensively costumed films in American movie history. But Wintour later overcame her skepticism, saying she liked the film, especially Meryl Streep's performance. So here is the quote. I'm getting around to it. This is stated by Emily Charlton, played by Emily Blunt. And here's the quote. I'm just great show about a great quote for a show about food. Here we go, Lisa. I'm just one stomach <laughs> flew away from my goal weight. Lisa, what in the world? world help us out here (laughs) it happens to be i don't quote movies in like in my natural kind of state if you will i find that guys are quite good at quoting films um but at least uh, myself i haven't been but it's a quote of a i've always loved i think it's hysterical but in the time of covid having had my tennis club and fitness facilities closed down for so long i've got my covid 19 so i think at this point i may be a couple of stomach flus away from uh getting back to my pre-covid weight Okay, well, that that kind of summarizes it all very briefly. Thank you. You're all very brief and to the point. Carrie, I usually get people to go on and on and on about the quotes. We're actually ahead of schedule here. We're going to have a lot of time for predictions. Chef Andy Gonzalez has sent us a quote from a a classic, another classic, The Shawshank Redemption, 1994 American drama film. It was based on Stephen King's novella from 1982 called Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. That was the original title. Andy Dufresne played by Tim Robbins, sentenced to life in Shawshank State Penitentiary for a couple of murders. His wife and her lover claims his innocence, and then we go on from there. Here is the quote. This is Morgan Freeman played Ellis Red, Redding, okay, and he's narrating. He says, Andy Dufresne, who crawled through a river of shit and came out clean on the other side. I didn't say the S word, but you know, I, I sort of whispered it because this is a clean show. Andy clean Gonzalez, show. talk you to have me. Two, you have two chefs on a clean show. This will be great. Amazing. Disaster, literally. Seamless. And me. And, and Carrie. And Lisa, you have your moments. Yeah, I've got my moments for sure. I'm I think I was a sailor in a former life. Well, I was probably there narrating a podcast for a sailor, Lisa. So, yeah. So, yeah, we're all being very controlled here. Andy, talk to me about the quote. Go ahead. Well, I mean, it was, it's, it's, of course, uh, I uh, share names with Andy Ufrain. But uh, when I thought about the, the last year, it's the first thing. And, and, you know, as the weather has gotten better and better over the last month, it's the first thing I thought of. Like, you have to crawl through the river. And then on the other side, you are delivered into this life into this like my favorite scene from that movie is when tim robbins strips his shirt down and the rain's coming down and you know morgan freeman's god voice is booming over the top of the of the scene and you're like yeah he he totally did it he he totally did it and i i really i really feel like as a restaurant luddite i'm not exactly sure why i'm here because i really feel like the restaurant business is going to go back to some semblance of what it was because people will eventually forget uh, and and I, I don't think, as much as I like talking about AIs and technology and stuff, the restaurant business is way more ancient than yeah. the pandemic. 
So the pandemic is going to last for about a year and a half, it looks like. But restaurants came from uh, from the migrations um, uh, uh, during the cru uh, like crusade era, where people went on these long migrations to cathedrals in France, you know, to see uh, pieces of, of saints' bodies. I mean, the restaurant business came from ancient, uh, old, you know, 400, 500 years ago, France. So I'm not super ready to, like, be just throw in the towel and say, oh, this is going to totally change. I'm, that's, so that's where I am. Like, you go through the river, and then you're delivered to, to maybe not exactly what it used to be, but something along those lines. Along those lines, something different, maybe a little bit something better, but different. That's for sure. Thank you, Andy. I think you dipped your toe in the river of predictions already there. So I'm saying, yeah. wait a minute, he's getting ahead of himself. Sorry, I jumped ahead. That's okay. That's okay. We're having a conversation. My shows are not scripted, and I just like to go around the table. So this is very lively. Carrie, again, you picked a great group, dear. This is having. I think we're having too much fun for a serious radio show. I don't know. I don't know. Everybody, tone it down, please. Hello, LinkedIn. Yes, we're having fun here. Damn it. Okay, so let's go to the predictions part of the show. I'm going to probably read prediction number one from each of you in turn, and I ask you to take about two minutes, use your time, give us your thought leadership on why you picked this prediction, what it means, why you created it, and then I'll go around the table so it will be Carrie and then Chris and then Lisa and Andy, and if you have something to say about somebody else's prediction before I get to you, just wave your hand wildly. That's why we're on Zoom, so I can see you, <laughs> and I'll call you, and then we'll go back to the order of the predictions. So Carrie Brown's first prediction is increased personalization. She's predicting increased personalization of offers for hospitality will become the expectations. There's a lot to unpack there, Carrie. I'm putting you on speaker view. Go ahead. Well, if you look at the uh, the shopping habits of the world in the last year, we've all become super familiar with Amazon or other providers to give us exactly what we want, when we want, and the volume we want. And the Amazon experience that says, if you like this, you'd like that, really becomes quite predictive around your expectations. Uh, and if you shift that to this industry, you know, we've all started eating out, taking out, you know, if somebody were to look at my credit card bill, they could see what are the patterns that I have in terms of who I am. If you look at the restaurants I go back to and what I get from them, there's some familiarity with what my choices are going to be. So that kind of personalization and visibility and data-driven activity, I think is going to change the way we eat and function. If you look at across all the industries, the, the food industry at large, those companies who had the capabilities to pivot and go from making wholesale products to making retail size products or making retail to wholesale based on demand from or not from restaurants and institutions and airlines and so forth, you know, they really had to pivot and change and that kind of data is what allowed them to do that. I think for us personally as consumers, we're gonna look for the same kind of support and personalization that says, I have this available specifically for you. Um, I also think that the part of this is, is FOMO. You know, what am I missing out on? And people want to get what they want to get and get the opportunities. And that kind of special experience is something I think we're all looking for and missing. Thank you very much. Any, I will say, any comments around the table quickly before I go on? Well, personalization is something we kind of already do. I mean, that's sort of the, I'm in the bar business. And if we don't have personalization in the bar business, you don't come back to my bar. So it's like, I do fully appreciate like how technology can link into that, which is great. But the bar, my bartender is supposed to do that. Your waiter is supposed to do that. That's what yeah. we're, that we're supposed to see you come in and, and, and personalize your experience for you from a human standpoint. Um, but uh, it, it might be that it might be just that 
I run an old school business and maybe we don't link into that exactly. Uh, or maybe that's just how I see how the restaurant business should be run already. Um, Does anybody remember? Well, I, I think there's going to be a segmentation, Andy, and I, I agree 100%. I mean, my business partners and I talk about, we don't really see what we do as food and beverage. We see what we do, that that's a vehicle for human connection. Um, and human connection has been incredibly disrupted by COVID. But I do think you're in our segment, we, we do human connection. But there are other segments, especially fast casual and stuff that, you know, it's, it's about feeding people, frankly. It's about putting stuff in their bellies and their ability to do that faster, cheaper, et cetera, is, is going to be paramount to them, which is why I think you're going to see even more of a kind of a schism start to develop of you're going to have this and you're going to have that. And it's going to be restaurants that focus on that human connection and experience. Let's call it experiential versus, hey, I'm just here to eat. Thank you. Carrie, go ahead. Oh, Lisa, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, um, Andy, back to the connection. I agree wholeheartedly. Like, you know, I may be in the wine business, but I'm in the people business. The wine becomes Mm -hmm. very secondary. So I'm definitely philosophically completely aligned. But when you've been mandated to have a physical, not only literal, but a physical gap in that connection and distance, how do you recreate that though? Like, you know, what do you do if we're, you know, forced to continue to be, you know, separate and apart from each other Mm -hmm. to, again, create that customized experience, that high touch and um, comfortable and familial type of experience. What do you do then? Carrie, I know Carrie wants to chime in here. Carrie, I think, I think all of what you're saying is about how to make me as a consumer feel special. Ideally, it's with a person that knows me that as I walk in the door, they make me my favorite drink or they know what I'm going to want to eat or they, they provide to me the opportunity to be a part of an experience. And I agree, it's going to go from personal to, to, to AI in terms of how to get that to happen, but it's finding the best ways. And Lisa, you're right. How, how does that great bartender that can't be anywhere near me help me? Ideally, they recognize me, but with a mask and a hat, who knows? Um, but yeah, I think it's all about making me feel special as a consumer. Andy, I think you want to jump in. Oh, I mean, the thing is like you, I don't think you need to be, I think you can be six feet away and, and get that accomplished um, through. Um, I mean, cause the thing is most of the time when somebody's, I mean, everybody's spaced out inside the companion, but at the same time, like when they're there, if they're consuming anything, they have to take their mask off. You can't get a drink into your face without that. So it's like, there is that connection one way or the other. Um, I, I never like my waiter to be that close to me anyway. Like, <laughs> I'm, I guess I when you literally can't have people come inside any longer. You know, we, you know, in I mean, California, we, we live in a very different reality than true. Georgia. That's very and true. We, yeah. Chris, so, Chris so want to say something? Well, we went through that, and to, to answer Lisa directly, like when we were only allowed to do takeout. I mean, mm-hmm. my full expectation was that everyone that ordered takeout in their bag of food was a personal handwritten thank you note signed okay. by our entire staff. Nice. Saying thanks for keeping our our butts in business, and nice. we did nice. that, and we still continue to do that. And so every day, at you know, right before we do lineup, which is a pre-service thing. We'll have 60 to 70 notes, and the expectation is that everybody's going to sign them, and we're going to say Lovely. thank you because we're incredibly fortunate to have a neighborhood and a group of people Lovely. that cares enough. So that's just one of the small ways we thought about doing things like that. Thank you all. Good conversation. I want to move on, and this is a perfect segue to Chris Hall's first prediction 
We dropped the S word, staffing. So let me go to this one. Chris predicts staffing will be the biggest challenge for restaurants in the next five years. So Chris, why don't you take this one and then we'll do a brief around the table. I want to make sure we get at least two predictions from each of you. I think we've already gotten 20, but we'll, we'll keep going. So Chris, go ahead. I'm putting you on speaker view, please. Yeah, I, I think we've got a massive crisis in our industry revolving staffing. Um, there are people that are lifers and do this for a career and they're stuck in. But there are opportunities. I mean, when Andy and I were coming up cooking in kitchens, there weren't the opportunities to cook in retirement homes and elderly facilities and all the places you can cook now. So we've lost those people there. The reality of in our industry is a lot of people that work with us are transitory. They're getting a college degree. They're getting a master's degree or they're frankly in it for the money and now that Amazon is out there paying 20 something bucks an hour and it's throwing packages on, we've lost that transitory workforce and it's hard to find. We're gearing up for a big spring here. And I know because I've, I've seen it, Andy and I are looking for people. I, I, I've seen your ads, you know, you've seen mine. Like there's not a restaurant in Atlanta that's fully staffed right now. And this past weekend when the weather got good, it was a bloodbath out there. We didn't operate in the way we wanted to. Now, we're going to be able to get away with that for a little while because people are just so happy to be out and, and there'll be a grace period. But eventually people are going to be like, Hey, why is my food taking so long? Like I'm not okay sitting out on this patio for an hour waiting on my food. And you're like, well, I, cause I got two cooks and I'm supposed to have four and I don't have the people to wait on you, but we have a major crisis and we're going to have to catch up to other as an industry. We are going to have to catch up or find ways to attract people to come in. We're a pirate ship. We're a group of misfits. We generally don't fit in. And that's one of the things I love about our business. But we're going to have to mainstream a little bit and get with the fact that we've got to compete with Amazon and Google and everyone else for employees. And it's going to be brutal as we make that transition because we're going to have to charge more to the consumer and other things. So there is a restaurant sort of revolution coming, I believe. I don't know when it's going to come, but it, it's staffing is a huge challenge. I mean, I, that could have been all my four predictions. That is what I am spending the majority of my time on is how I can make my company more attractive to people to, to come to work for us. Interesting. I don't know if the general public, I'm using that broad term, I'm not going to say the masses, people. I don't think people know this, Chris. I don't think they're aware of that, except if you're in the restaurant business looking for staffing or if you're in the in, in looking for a job and you have so many opportunities. Anybody quickly want to comment on what Chris said? We have a second. Well, we I mean, why, I mean, the, the general public doesn't the general public doesn't really understand the, the trials and tribulations of a restaurant. That's owner, right. The restaurant worker. They think that the. Most people think that like the food comes out of this magic slot and just gets to your table and <laughs> everybody smiles and it's having a great time, but it's hot as, it's hot as balls back there. And it, there's a lot of work to be done. So like Chris, I, I'm a hundred percent on board because we, we took a beating this past week and it was, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was on fire Sunday day and let's just get this kind of done. And we're all yeah. talking a bunch of trash in Spanish and let's, you know, let's just make yeah. this happen. Do you, so, do you can't, I can't keep that up forever. This thing doesn't work like that for much longer. So it's like, you know, I mean, how do you, how, I mean, how do you incentivize enough, enough people to work for you? And, and how do you get the current generation to, to want to dig in? And I, you know, I don't want to be like super ageist about stuff, but you know, it, it was hard to get me as a 25 year old to like dig in and work hard 
it didn't come until like 30, but if they never get in and they don't see the, they don't see the point or the passion of the restaurant business, then I, I don't know how we get from, from here to there. And with all the restaurants that are opening up this year, even with the pandemic, uh, there's just not enough people. I just, yeah, I don't see how it's sustainable. No. If you guys were so busy, you, you know, the teams that were willing to show up and are back on your payrolls, if they're making, in theory, a lot of money because there's fewer of them, you know, is that going to spread word of mouth? Because it's, you know, it's always a small world and a tight community. So are they going to talk to their former coworkers or friends who are looking for work and be like, dude, I am pulling it in. You got to go work, you know, at, with mm-hmm. Chris Hall or with Andy or some other restaurant because we're making bank right now. I mean, they, they, they that might happen but at the same time there's a lot of people who have reevaluated their lives with the pandemic i I've, i know a lot of people who are like this is my gap like because for a while you know you had the golden handcuffs right yeah. so they didn't making enough money that they didn't they they couldn't leave but now that they've been forced into making decisions uh on a day-to-day without the restaurant business paying their bills mm-hmm. now you're you're dealing with a completely different situation people are like well maybe i don't have to bust my ass maybe i could just do something else somewhere else. I mean, am I willing to make two thirds of the money, but have a different lifestyle? Right. I think, I think Andy nailed it. And I think, um, you know, the, it's true what you said, Lisa, but now if you, if any sort of organization that's sentient in any way and paying attention, their number one thing is to lock down what talent they have. Right. Right. So those folks have grabbed on to those. I mean, we talk about it every day. I'm like, look, I like, I'm always on the hunt for prospective talent. When I know I have talent in my four walls, I got to guard it now yeah. in mm-hmm. a different way than I've ever guarded it. And so then it's about, I also think, you know, for us, we we've, restaurants are generally, I mean, the reason that large restaurant companies probably exist and do well is that they have a lot of methodology and training and all that and formal plans and we're going to have to adopt that. Back in the day, we were all just trading employees and they were kind of to use a baseball analogy like major league or AAA players. Yeah. Now we're having to pull rookies out of high school literally and train them and they don't know anything. And so that that process of going from, you know, neophyte to viable employee is longer than me saying, hey, okay, Andy and I, traded somebody somebody moved across town i'm gonna get one of his people and you know they were already a major league player so they just got to learn where they're hitting in my lineup and what we do a little differently and vice versa but now it's like man we're we're taking people off the street i mean you know so many of the applications i see are people that you know they're not even in the business right Right. they're they're forklift drivers and they're retail people and and all that so how do we transition like if Bezos has killed retail, and I believe he has, how does we get those people into our sector, right? right. And, and out of so I'm they're all take, I'm going to take one more comment from Kerry, and then I want to move to Lisa's prediction. We got to cover a lot of predictions here. Go ahead, Kerry, you're up. I, I just say that the challenge for this industry has hit everybody. So if you look across all of manufacturing, they've struggled this year to hire and have people as well. It's it's really it's prevalent everywhere. So it's a it's a real challenge. Thank you. And 
Carrie, you and I both know from our work at SAP that every industry, every company, every organization that has survived the pandemic had to basically remodel their business plan, Mm -hmm. maybe punt, maybe they were making wine or bourbon, Lisa, and now they're making hand sanitizers. Mm -hmm. They're having to change their production. And as they retool and rethink, reimagine, they're agile, they're flexible if they're going to survive, they're looking for different types of talent. So the talent war is hitting all kinds of enterprises, not just your business, Chris and Andy. Just want to bring that up. Let's move on. Lisa Allen, prediction number one. You say, we may see a narrowing of cuisine offerings with more back-to-basic menus, with the innovation coming with technology and transaction rather than food and flavor. This sounds like a hot-button prediction, Ms. Allen. Go ahead. Try that one. Go ahead. You know, I was just thinking, and not being in the restaurant business, but what I see, because it had to become so transactional, and certainly I'm looking at it through a lens of California, where we have been, uh, you know, we've just now reopened indoor dining in the last week. So we're very, very, very far behind, especially the Atlanta market and possibly even the North Carolina market where you are, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but if you think about it, if it, if it was curbside and delivery only, that has to be food that can be simple to understand. You don't have someone explaining what makes it special and how they've prepared something. And, you know, this very kind of technical cuisine just and doesn't translate with someone just ordering it on an app, nor does it uh transport very easily when you're, you know, you know, relying on DoorDash or some other delivery service to get the food from point A to point B. Um, So, you know, for me that I saw that people may have to go back to something more kind of lean and mean, uh, just to kind of keep things viable, keep things differentiated too. you know, you can't have, you can't be all things to all people, at least in my opinion, uh, and you've got to really do kind of one or two things really, really well and not make it transactional whereby it, you know, uh, lessens, you know, personalization or high touch or customization, um, but just be, again, uh, using kind of, I guess, more of a rifle approach as opposed to a shotgun approach. Thank you very much, Lisa. Let's see anybody quick comments around because I want to get one from Andy in. Go ahead, Chris Hall. I'll just say that I think menu offerings, are, menus are just smaller. Um, we, mm-hmm. we just don't want to take on the inventory and have the chance that we lose money on it. And I don't think that trend is going to, going to stop. I think we're going to have smaller, tighter. It's just like you said, you're going from a shotgun where you're trying to kind of scatter everything out and please mm-hmm. a bunch of people to like, this is what we do. We do arepas and we do them really, really well. And yeah. that's what we're going to focus on. Right. And, you know, I think that's going to be very prevalent moving forward. I mean, that's probably what the restaurant business was supposed to be the whole time. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, like at the, the advent of like Howard Johnson's and like these places with these <laughs> menus that go on and on and on. I mean, honestly, you should, restaurants have a finite amount of energy like any other organization. And it, you only have so much energy to spend. So spend your energy wisely and make the best food you can yep. in, in the most compact and comprehensive way that you can and just stay true to who you are as a, as a restaurateur. I mean, I think all businesses should be like that. I mean, yes. do your best at what you're good at. And right. if you want to expand, then do that. But, it, you know, but it has to be a, a full-fledged effort. It can't be just 
we have this, but you probably don't want it. Like USP, not, uh, unique selling propositions. I remember, oh, I'm going to date myself here. My mom is a special treat. Once in a while, would take me to Howard Johnson's on Northern Boulevard in Little Neck, New York. That was just almost on the border of Queens and Nassau County. And we would order the hot dog in the square bun. Does anybody remember that oh. Howard jo- Lisa, did I hit a no. nerve there? Yeah, no, I hit, I, there's a hot dog on a square bun. I'm just it, it, it my mind a, is blown. It was a rectangular bun, and it, it like sat like a like a cradle, almost like when you get a hot dog for takeout, and it's in the little piece of cardboard. The bun looked like that with hot chocolate with whipped cream. I'm just gonna leave that one on the table. Everybody looks horrified. Okay, no, no more. I, 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 Jacques the pan was like the, the first. Pan his fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I honestly think he was like the culinary consultant for Hojo's when they did it. I'm pretty sure it was Jacques Pan. Yeah. That yeah. guy can cook. He's a madman. He, you know, he like, is a madman. And they were they were good hot dogs. I don't eat beef anymore. Chef Andy Gonzalez, prediction number two. This is interesting. Something different. I'm looking for different and fresh. We have we have about fifteen minutes left. So let's cover another round of predictions. Andy says, pop ups. You're gonna define that for us. We'll slow over time as cities begin to realize they're missing out on tax revenue. Oh, let's get down to the bottom line here. Andy, talk to me. Uh, so a pop-up is, um, there's two general kinds. There's a pop-up that pops up in a restaurant that's already existing, and then there's a pop-up that pops out of, up out of somebody's house. Um, and I'm kosher with both. People got to get their hustle on. They got to make their money where they can. Uh, I'm not coming out against pop-ups, but at the same time, the tax man never forgets. And as a person who pays lots and lots of taxes, for three freestanding businesses, mm-hmm. I really feel like somebody's eventually going to figure out how to tax the revenue that's coming in and out. There's lots of money that's being, you know, slid under the table, or you know, it's going from their house into their bank account. There's no, uh, there's no, you know, sales tax being paid. There's a, a good number of, there's no, there's no um, employment uh, uh, tax being paid if they have a staff. Uh, and, and and I'm I'm. God, I'm kind of kosher with that, but I, we have spent a lot of money building places and paying lots of taxes for me to hear about some dude who has, who's selling ramen, you know, down the street from me out of his house. And I'm making ramen, paying cooks and keeping people employed. I, I don't want to sound like too Republican-y in my, in my golf shirt, but at the same time, <laughs> I, I feel like there's, there is money to be distributed there that's not being distributed. So... Mm. Wow. Thank you. But, but it's not it's not just it's not just taxes. It's business insurance and all the other things that contribute yeah. to the economy. I mean, it's good on you, Andy, for saying this, because I'll be totally honest. It's something I've kind of backed off on because of the the fear of backlash as a, yeah. as a business owner. It's like I agree with you 100 percent. I appreciate people getting their hustle on and things have to start somewhere. But damn, everything. Thing we go through to go and do a business and get a liquor license when you're just going to the store buying a bunch of booze and serving it like it's there isn't there is a natural inequity there that will get addressed and if it is a free market we'll get corrected at some point look i don't, I don't want to have to talk to a health inspector and i didn't you know i didn't want to wait six and a half months for my liquor license when atlanta lost every bit of my documentation where we i we skimmed the business across essentially water hoping that we were going to survive. Um, I didn't want to do any of that stuff. And I'd love to not have to deal with that. But I, you know, I, I mentioned this on my podcast, like podcast number two or three, cause I was kind of pissed off about it, but I, I edited it because I felt bad about it. Um, at the same time, like as things open up, it's probably time to come above board 
with a lot yeah. of that stuff. Thank you, Andy. Let's move on. I want to see if we can get one more round of predictions in here because you all sent so many interesting points here. Carrie, number two, she says, fine-er, and the R is in brackets, parentheses, fine-er, takeout dining is here to stay. Carrie, let's take two minutes, and then I'm going to go through everybody's prediction number two or three. Go ahead, Carrie. I think as a consumer, we've been really spoiled. The The fine dining has had to find a way to get something to our home. As Lisa says, fine dining doesn't travel well. And then so the restaurants who couldn't necessarily get get to us with, uh, you know, I, I don't want a, a takeout from fast food every day and I can't get fine dining, which I used to have the privilege of participating in when I traveled a lot. And really here it wasn't there. So I think fine-er dining where you get really good food that you can take home is something that we've all gotten to where we like and we have. And I know it's added to the, to the bottom line for some of the business owners on this call, but I think it's something we're all going to continue to look for. Thank you very much. I'm going to move on. Chris Hall, prediction number two. You say the demise of retail and commercial real estate. And yes, we have seen so much in the pandemic. We'll make restaurants anchor tenants. And you're going to explain that for us, please. In many developments and create a demand for new concepts and growth. Chris, talk to us. So this is in, in diametric opposition to the fact in my prediction one, which is there's no staff. So how do you open restaurants with no mm-hmm. staff? That's going to be magic and maybe technology plays there. But I don't think we've seen the half of the commercial real estate fall out because people are just sitting on leases. Um, you know, I can't speak for anyone, but I would guess that SAP has millions of square feet of office space and people have learned from home. And as those leases come up, they will be, if they are renewed, they will be renewed at a fraction of the square footage that they were. There will be tons of empty space. And so now when you're going to do something instead of having, and, and retail's dead, right? So uh, high-fi buys, whatever the current iteration of that is, I'm not going to a mall. I'm not buying anything. Like Andy just, I know this because we, we know each other. Andy just brought golf clubs online and didn't, like, I'm jealous, by the way, but you didn't <laughs> go anywhere to do that, right? You did it all online. The direct-to-consumer revolution is here and it's going to have a massive play in economies. And so as you see commercial real estate start to wane, they're going to need tenants. And those tenants are going to be restaurants. They're going to want those. So you no longer see, hey, you know, if you can't get a Publix or a Kroger as your anchor in a retail center, they want a known commodity restaurant that they can bank on. Thank you very much. I'm going to move on. I want to keep this going. Lisa Allen has a very interesting prediction number three here. To remain relevant in a world of necessary as well as mandated modifications, winning concepts will be those that can maintain connections with customers and become a partner for them. Here we go. In more off-site hosted hospitality. Your expertise around experience must be transferable. Partnerships and collaborations you enjoy with farmers, wineries, and others are important to retain. Lisa, why don't you take about two minutes, and then I'm going to tee up one for Andy next. Go ahead, Lisa. Yeah, I think it kind of you know um, pulls forward some of the things we've already talked about. You know where you know that customization, the connection, the human connection, and knowing literally knowing your customer, the the norm event when someone walks in the door to get their regular pint and the eggplant 
fries and all the things that we all love at the places that we frequented as a regular. But if we can't come together, uh, you know, in, in doing business with Chris, we've done some corporate events where they're virtual, but he gets to be showcased as a chef. Well, mm-hmm. you know, wineries get to be showcased uh, with their wine and it's still paired together, but it's done offsite in like multiple sites in people's homes. But I think as some gathering starts to happen, it still may not be in that restaurant. So it may be, um, you know, multiple groups though that are still offsite and can people still now travel to that group and, you know, recreate what they would have potentially done you know, for that corporate lunch, you know, SAP, I'm sure does a lot of, you know, corporate entertaining and business entertaining. So how do we recreate that uh, offsite? Because it is what makes it special. It's the people, it's the connection, it's those relationships that you can't do on your own as a consumer. I don't know the farmer, I don't know the winemaker, but Chris does, or Andy does, or the Mm -hmm. master distiller, uh, you know, for a a bourbon house. but I think that that's going to be something, again, to keep that personality out there, to keep these, you know, great people, you know, the Andes and the Chris's of the world, you know, front and center, because that's why we go, you know, again, I'm not going to be hungry, you know, clearly, um, but, you know, why do I pick where I go? It's because of the people, and mm-hmm. I want to stay connected to those people and wh- how they make food and beverage special, memorable, and enjoyable uh, and we're going to have to see them be more flexible, I think, in you know being not only in the restaurant, you're going to have to be off-site perhaps and in, in hosting those events for your best guests uh, is something I've been thinking about and seeing you know, happen already. And I, I think it's going to be potentially also here to stay. But I'd love to hear from from Chris and Andy if they've had to do more of that, if they've had an interest you know, from those those best customers to recreate group dining but outside the four walls of their restaurants. Well, let's give them each a minute because I have one more prediction from Andy. I want to squeeze in. We got eight minutes, seven minutes left to the end of the show. Andy, you want to comment what Lisa was talking about? And then Chris? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, we, I had a couple of people ask, um, but most of the time, mm-hmm. like I, I've been so busy with the, mm-hmm. my places and my kids and not getting divorced and stuff that I, <laughs> <laughs> that I don't really have time to show up to your house unless you want to pay me a large sum of money. So, um, yeah, I, a few here and there, but I'm not famous, famous as Chris, so people aren't going to give me that much money. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Chris, Chris, you get it's your one a, minute here. Go ahead. It's been a major, it's been a major piece of our business. Um, the biggest, the, the thing that I think is going to take the longest to come back is business entertaining, and mm-hmm. we've been able to supplement it by doing things. We partnered up with Lisa I'll just give an example where there were there was 181 trademark attorneys and they couldn't have a concert, uh, a a, uh, a convention this year and so we sent everyone wine from Lisa and we sent them some charcuterie and got online and talked about the wine and talked about the food and it was a massively successful event yep. for us so we've invented ourselves in the digital space through virtual events we're trying to do two a month right now um, whether it's getting a master distiller on whether it's getting uh, a winemaker on whether it's uh, you know we've got we sold out we did 50 packages of uh, fried chicken and champagne right? My favorite food and, and booze pairing. And, you know, to be able to do that is just, um, it's additional revenue that we wouldn't have otherwise. And it's really what's kept us um, moving in a positive direction throughout the pandemic. Thank you, Chris. I think we're all too hungry now to talk anymore, but we're going to move to another <laughs> prediction. Andy, prediction number four. Let's, this will probably be our last one or maybe one more. You say there will be completely automated restaurants within the next decade and many of the available jobs in the fast 
casual industry will be lost forever. I don't know if this is doom and gloom all the way around, if somebody's going to benefit. Andy, please unpack this for us. Go ahead, Andy. Well, I mean, the uh, technology is already starting. Um, robots that cook. Um, uh, you go up, there's already kiosks available, like at the airport and, and other places where you just push buttons and your food comes out to you. That is something that's going to happen. And I, I don't, for my concepts or, or Chris's concepts, I don't think this is anything that's possible or feasible for a while. But as the technology progresses and it becomes cheaper, there will be places that will open with this as their calling card. So like, if you don't have to worry about the machine showing up to work and you have to occasionally fix the machine and the machine's affordable, then people will do that uh, to make money. I mean, imagine you you have a, a fixed overhead cost that's no longer like uh, labor that goes up and down. It's one central item that produces food and that's all it does. And you don't have to, there's no personality. There's no, none of that. None of the good things about the restaurant business exist anymore. Um, but I do, like I said, I think this is a fast casual thing, uh, an entry level point. Um, but it does worry me that, that, I mean, I learned lots of great chefs who started as entry level workers. Like, you know, Ryan, you know, Ryan Smith and Joey both started like washing dishes. I started a, a dipping ice cream. Um, you know, everybody starts someplace. So where's the, you know, where does this food chain head? Eventually, I, I don't. I don't want to be depressing, but it's just sort of part of my personality. So. Well, no, it's not part of your personality. <laughs> it's part of the reality of what we're talking about—the good, the bad, and then the tasty, and the we'll go somewhere else. I'm involved, for- I'm involved in a startup right now, um, out of tech that is working on technology, and we're using motion capture, like they do in video games, to get chefs, and then we can duplicate it with a robotic arm. Wow. And so if you want to learn how to scramble eggs, like I scramble eggs, because most people, frankly, can't scramble eggs. Andy will attest to this. Sure. Um, it, it literally, like, you crack the eggs in there, the pan heats up, the arm does it exactly as I would do it, and then wow. it's off. So we have a long way to go, but it's coming. Wow, wow. And I will remember, I don't know if anybody remembers this. I think I heard about it or saw it from my mother's womb. We'll just date it that way. There was something called Horn and Hardarts, and it was automated restaurants. And you wanted a piece of cherry pie, Andy, and you would put a quarter in the slot and open a little window, and the cherry automat. pie was sitting. Automat, right. Automat. automat before automated. Automat. But there were people behind the doors. Of course there were. Why do, think, why do you think the milk gets into the supermarket? There's a guy in the back shoving the half gallons into the tray, for God's sake. Carrie, you get one quickly, one sentence here. Carrie says, B-O-Y-B will grow as an option for diners. Carrie, 30, uh, 30 seconds. That's it. Go so, ahead. so B-Y-O-B, bring your own, bring your own beverage. Um, I think that the rules on liquor have changed. Takeout rules have changed. What people, where people spend money have changed. You know, I think everyone wants the experience and wants to rush out. There's also a lot of people where money's tighter than it was. So mm-hmm. some of the rules in terms of how that might come together, you know, and I know that the, the, the profitability around liquor is a big contributor to restaurant survival as well. So that I think is a mix that will challenge the previous status quo and the, and the liquor laws have also been shifted. So I think that government agencies will also start to look at, okay, how do we make restaurants thrive and also let people be there? 
Thank you very much. We're out of time. I want to say thank you. Let's give a round of applause for Carrie. I, she told me she loves that. Carrie Brown, look at the group you brought me today. We've never had such vociferous, vocal, active talkers on these shows. Usually, okay, I'll do my prediction. I'll do, and now here you are. We're having this huge conversation, and I love it. So thank you very much, Carrie Brown. Chef Chris Hall, always nice to see you. Good luck with the startup. I know it's going to be great. I'd love to see how you scrambled eggs because I, because I have them for lunch every Every day, and I, I'd love to see your technique. Uh, Lisa Allen, such a pleasure to get to know you. Bravo to you being a woman in the wine industry. We have to talk about doing a show with you and some of your colleagues. If you'd like to come on, we'll do something in April or May. I have a slot, and you can invite three of your friends to come. Andy Gonzalez, Chef Andy, such a pleasure. You're all very out there, up there, in there. We really appreciate what you're doing to help feed the world wherever you are. By the way, my community here, I'm in a 55 plus, I'll admit to that much in Durham, North Carolina. <laughs> and the management, we, we don't have any restaurant dining facilities in our clubhouse. It's gorgeous, but there's no place to eat. And they've been bringing food trucks in and they've tried to schedule one food truck to the parking lot and you have to order online on the food trucks website four hours to six hours before the night before. And then they come and there's a limited window and they've got parking lot stanchions and you have to pull up to this and they serve you with, they have masks on and gloves. It's still going on. But that one food truck they tried to bring in three times. And the third time it was weather related or something. The third time they said cancel because they had mechanical difficulties in the truck <laughs> but it's happy St. Patrick's Day. So we have 30 seconds. I want to say thank you to my engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller at Voice America World Talk Radio for getting us on there. He calls himself my sidekick, Kerry, and he's, you know, Aaron has earned that over the years. And I want to tell everybody, listen, if somebody says to you, if somebody dares to say to you, Andy and Lisa and Chris and Kerry, the future is already here. I want you to wave your finger at them or wave a, a fork or a mixing spoon or a egg beater or something and say, no, that was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't happened yet and we're all going to make it a better one feeding the world with good ideas and love everybody wave goodbye bonnie degram signing off thank you linkedin thank you facebook bye thank you for joining us for technology revolution the future of now mark your calendar to join host bonnie degram every wednesday at 8 a.m pacific time 11 a.m eastern on the voice america business channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh